like to invite you to open up to John chapter 3, this passage that David read for us. John chapter 3, you can pull it up on your phone if you don't have a Bible or can't find one in the seat backs in front of you. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Several years ago, our family was staying at someone else's house on a trip, and I was helping the lady of the house make dinner. She was a bit older than me, and she was an awesome cook, and I was helping her. I was kind of sous chef. I was chopping some onions or something. I was chatting with her, and she's watching me chop onions, and then she says to me very politely, can I show you a better way to do that? If you anchor the point of your knife on your cutting board and you slice down from the back, the knife will work for you. And I'm thinking, I know how to chop an onion. I'm not one of those helpless guys who can't cook. I cook a couple times every week, so my ego is getting a little involved in this. But I I said, um, thanks for the tip, and I tried it, and lo and behold, it did work better, (laughs) a lot better. And now I always chop onions that way. Has that ever happened to you where you had your way of doing something and uh, someone showed you another way and maybe your pride got a little bit involved along the way, but it turned out that their way was a lot better. That kind of uh, is kind of like the experience of today's passage and what it wants to lead us into. And in this encounter, it's a man called Nicodemus who's having this experience. And Jesus is the one trying to show him the better way. Today we come to the next to last sermon in our series on CBC's core values. The values that are most important to us as a church, that make us the church we are. We've seen that we are a church that values everyone being involved in leadership, not just a special group of a few leaders. We prioritize God's word. We seek to be welcoming and caring. And and these things are all true of us. It's not that we're perfect at any of them, but they are important to us. And so we try, we work at these things. Well, the one we're going to look at today is, I'd say, a little less true of us. It's a little more aspirational rather than current reality. But we do value it and we're seeking to grow into it. And we've got a ways to go. And that one is being spirit-directed. Here's how we put it on our website. We are learning to be led by God's spirit as we grow spiritually and reach out to others. And that's a good bit of what today's passage is about. And it's also a very appropriate topic on Pentecost Sunday, right? That day when... uh, We as Christians celebrate and we remember what happened in Acts chapter 2, which if, if you don't know that chapter, it's a key moment in the salvation story of what God has done for us and for this world through Jesus Christ. And that is that on that day we call Pentecost, shortly after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven and sat down on the throne at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus then poured out on Pentecost God's own spirit on us and in us to empower us, to be with us, to comfort and guide and direct us, and to transform us. So that's what we're celebrating and remembering today. So back to Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus one night to talk to Jesus. 
Why at night? Maybe Nicodemus is being sneaky here, and he doesn't want anyone else to know that he's interested in Jesus. Or maybe night is just a good time to talk. It's quiet. There isn't distractions by the people work, right? <laughs> so evening is a good time to talk. Whatever the reason, though, Nicodemus seeks out a nighttime conversation with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I relate to Nicodemus in some ways. We, we learn here that he's a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means Nicodemus is very committed to his religion. He's also very educated, powerful, and probably wealthy. He's accomplished. He's got expertise. And he's used to telling other people what he knows and what they should do. Not so much other people teaching him or telling him what he needs to do. So he'd fit right in in Westchester County with a PhD from the best institutions, an impressive resume, and a veritable who's who of, of contacts and colleagues. So here are some ways I relate to Nicodemus. See if maybe you relate to some of these as well. Maybe others not so much. Well, for me, I'm a religious leader too. I'm a religious insider. I know my theology. I've read a lot of the current best thinking in Christian scholarship. I'm educated. I know a lot. And I have a fair bit of experience. I've been around the block a few times. I've seen a lot. I've learned a lot. I've been following Jesus for quite a number of years. So, truth be told, like Nicodemus, it's easy for me to be too self-reliant to rely on my own experience, to rely on my knowledge, to rely on what I've learned and what I know. Do any of you relate to some extent? Do you see the connection to how I reacted inside when that lady wanted to show me a better way to slice onions? But that's not all there is to Nicodemus. He's also spiritually curious and spiritually sensitive, and he's open and hungry for more. How do we know? Well, he makes an effort to come to Jesus. Nicodemus, a well, high, a high-placed expert insider, seeks out a popular but uncredentialed street preacher, an outsider. Nicodemus never would have done that if he wasn't open and curious. And he begins by giving Jesus quite a big compliment. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is hungry enough, eager enough, sensitive enough to the Spirit that he humbles himself by having this cordial, respectful encounter with Jesus. I hope I'm that way too. I hope I always stay open and eager and thirsty for more of God. But just how open and just how hungry Nicodemus is, is about to be tested. Nicodemus doesn't have any idea just how much he's getting into when he starts dealing with Jesus. 
Because Jesus doesn't show him a whole lot of respect. He doesn't say, oh, thank you so much. You're so kind, most honored council member. No, Jesus is blunt, maybe even a little bit less than respectful. He simply says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one, not even you, Nicodemus. No one can see. This is about seeing something, Nicodemus, determining something new, or discerning, sorry, discerning something new. No one can see the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is what this is about, Nicodemus. Not what we're doing, not our religion, but rather, this is about the new thing God is doing, God's work, God is moving. It's about God's agenda. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. The Greek word here can also be translated born from above. Again or above. It could mean either one. Born again, born from above. What does this mean? Nicodemus doesn't know. But he does realize this is huge. This is drastic. That Jesus is asking something very big and very life-changing. To be born all over again? Nicodemus asks, how is this possible? Nicodemus doesn't know quite what Jesus is getting at, but he does realize how huge it is that Jesus isn't asking for a small course correction. That Jesus isn't um, asking for... Uh, uh, a new resolution to do things a little bit differently this next year. That Jesus isn't proposing a 12-week Bible study on the kingdom of God. No, Jesus is saying, you can't see what God is doing unless you are born all over again. Born again, from above, born to a new life. You have to begin again. Which means, all you've invested in your old life all you've accumulated, all you've gained, all you've accomplished is called into question. If you have to be born all over again. Well, Nicodemus is having a hard time swallowing this, and I relate. Imagine it's, it's around 2007, and you've just invested a great deal of money in this wonderful popular technology called the BlackBerry. Do you know what happened in 2007? Do you remember? The iPhone came out. It was the birth of the smartphone and, phone, smartphone. and how many Blackberries do we still see today, right? Or imagine it's around the year 2000 and you've invested tons of money in a, in a wonderful company that makes CRT computer monitors. You know, the big one, tube ones that take up half of your desk? Right before everyone wanted a flat screen, right? Can you imagine that feeling? <laughs> the feeling of having invested everything in something that is no longer relevant, no longer worth anything. That's the feeling Nicodemus has to wrestle with here. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born from above. 
Nicodemus has invested a lot in the things of God, a lot of learning, a lot of training, a lot of effort, a lot of ego. And Jesus is telling him he's quickly become. And Nicodemus responds like any of us would. We don't want to believe it. How can this be? Now, Nicodemus fixates, of course, on the literal problem of being born again. How can you enter a second time into your mother's womb? Which, of course, isn't what Jesus is talking about. And so to help Nicodemus, Jesus tries saying it another way in in verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. No one. Not even you, Nicodemus, or your fellow esteemed members of the ruling council. No one can enter. Not see this time, but enter this time. Entering requires personal action, personal involvement, personal commitment. No one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can get on board with what God is doing, which is what really matters, right? No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Water and the Spirit. There's been a lot of debate about what Jesus means by born of water. Baptist baptism? Is it baptism in general? Is it a reference to natural childbirth in which a mother's water breaks? For our purposes this morning, we're going to skip over those questions because it's not where Jesus focuses anyway. Jesus focuses on the second part. He, he takes for granted the first part, it, it seems, or makes passing reference to it, but he focuses on the second part, the Spirit, born of the Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born from above. It means to be born of the Spirit. Jesus continues, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again or from above. And then Jesus describes the way of the Spirit and the experience of being born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You can't see the Spirit, right? Just like you can't see the wind. But you know the wind is there. You can feel it on your face. You can see the effects it has. You see the tree branches branches rustle. You can't see the Spirit either, but you can feel Him. You can see the person next to you drawing close to Jesus, feeling excited about Jesus, being transformed and growing spiritually. And you're like, wow, the Spirit is blowing. We, we can't see the Spirit, but we can see someone who didn't know God, who didn't understand the Bible, put their faith in Jesus Christ and, and ask Him to forgive their sins and invite Jesus into their life. And suddenly, they're, they're hearing from God and the Bible is coming alive to them. And, and they're talking to God in prayer. And God is answering those prayers. And they're trusting God with their problems. And they're experiencing God's peace. The Spirit is blowing They have been born again. They have been born from above. That's what needs to happen to you, Nicodemus, Jesus says. And to your fellow illustrious Jewish expert council members. 
and to the whole nation that you lead and you represent, Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus is having a hard time wrapping his mind around this or accepting what it means for his whole life. So he replies, how can this be? How can this be true? How can this be happening? How can this be possible? Nicodemus is having a hard time coming on this journey that Jesus is trying to lead him on, this journey from flesh to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus says, but by contrast, spirit gives birth to spirit. Again, I relate to Nicodemus. Maybe you do too. Because I've been trained my whole life in school and in the jobs I've had and in everyday life to be self-sufficient and to be a self-starter. To use my brains, to use my education, to use my ingenuity and my experience and my connections to get things done, to get them done well, to accomplish things. I've been trained and conditioned to, to reason things out. And, and if I can't, then to Google it. <laughs> and, and if that doesn't work, to persevere and try again harder. And if that still doesn't work, to bring in an expert who can, maybe by reading a book or attending a conference. And, and every church I've been a part of, including CBC, has tended to work this way. Our leaders get together, we, we say a quick prayer, and then we get down to business. We give reports, we make plans, we share ideas, we debate possibilities, we make decisions, we implement those decisions. And, and of course, a lot of this needs to be done. And God works through our efforts. But, but I do think Jesus is asking Nicodemus and us to look beyond this. To look beyond the flesh. Now, what does he mean by flesh? Well, flesh can mean two different things in the Bible. Sometimes flesh is negative. It means uh, something that's opposed to God. It, it, it means to be on the side of sin and selfishness. But other times, flesh is neutral. It's just human, and so it's limited, and it's weak, and it's just not enough. It's not wise enough. It's not smart enough. It's not strong enough. It's not powerful enough. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The flesh is not enough. We need the spirit. We need to be spirit-directed. So let me share a couple ways that I have been trying to grow in being spirit-directed. First, I've been praying differently. For me, prayer used to be to pull out my prayer list and to pray through all of the requests on my list and then say amen, and I was done. Now I spend um, a lot more time listening on God and just reflect on God and be with God, trying to remember what God is like and, and listening to what God might want to say to me. Sometimes to make this more practical, I'll, I'll ask God three questions that I picked up from someone else. First, God, what are you and I going to do today? In other words, God, what are you doing that you're inviting me into today? Then second, God, is there anyone I should connect with today who's not already on my to-do list? And then third, is there anything I need to know today that I don't already know? 
Is there anything I'm missing, any insights I need that I don't have? Because I'm just flesh. And these three questions, they, they help me to listen. They, they focus my listening. I don't always get answers to these questions. Sometimes I do, but, but they, um, they remind me to listen and they give me specific ways to listen because I need training wheels. A, a second way I'm seeking to be more spiritual directed and in addition to praying differently, um, and this one is more specifically for leaders maybe, is to lead what I see, not what I want. That is to seek to lead what I see God doing rather than to lead what I want and my agenda and my vision. Which means more looking and listening. Listening to God, asking others, listening to others, asking what God is putting on their hearts for the, for the church or for the small group or, or for whatever I'm leading or they're leading. What do they see God doing? Where do they feel God is directing? And then also, and, and maybe more importantly, um, uh, looking to see where God is at work. Uh, just like you can look out on a forest or, or on a field and you could see where the wind is blowing by what tree is rustling or, or what grass is bending in the wind. So you can look around at a church or you can look around at a group of people and you can see who is being stirred up spiritually. Who is hungry to grow? Who is desiring more? And there's a good chance that there is where the wind of the Spirit is blowing. And so that's where I want to focus my attention, to come alongside what God is doing there, to lead what I see, not what I want. And so to sum all of this up, this leaves us with a question. Is God's kingdom established from earth up to heaven? Or is God's kingdom established from heaven down to earth? That's what I see here in this passage. That's what Jesus, I think, is trying to teach Nicodemus. Nicodemus, like a lot of us, has spent his whole life trying to build from earth up to heaven. Starting with his own training, his own smarts, his own experience, his own influence to build something for God. And this is still our tendency today. One way I see this is just the way people talk. How often have you heard the phrase, someone used the phrase, building God's kingdom? We're building God's kingdom. You know, the Bible never uses the verb build in connection with God's kingdom. And I think if the New Testament, Testament heard that phrase to build God's kingdom, they would be horrified. You know why? Because... We don't build God's kingdom. We can't build it. You know what verbs the Bible uses related to God's kingdom? We saw two of them in today's passage. To see God's kingdom. To enter God's kingdom. A couple other verbs the Bible uses are to seek God's kingdom and to receive God's kingdom. Yes, look for it. Yes, enter it. Yes, receive it. Yes, seek it. But no, we don't build it. 
Why? Because God is building it. God is building it from heaven down to earth. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, who's a typical kingdom builder, you need to be born again. You need to start over in a whole different way. God is building from heaven down. By his spirit, God is bringing the kingdom of heaven from heaven down to earth. God is in charge here. It's his kingdom. And if you want to be a part of it, you need to start over. You need to start in a different way. You need to receive and embrace and be led by what the Spirit is doing. And may that be true of us as well, as it was for Nicodemus. May we continue to value being Spirit-directed. May we continue to grow in being a Spirit-directed church. And this isn't something we need to wait for a new pastor to do or for your leaders to do for you. This is something we can all do ourselves. In our own relationship with God, our own lives, our own prayer times, and in our small groups and in our Bible studies and in our conversations as we get together. We can learn to listen and we can learn to seek and participate in what God is doing. So as we close, and I invite the worship team to come back up, I want to invite you to think, as, as we sing again this closing song, um, what is God saying to you about this this morning? What is God saying to you personally? How is God's Spirit directing you? And how might you want to respond? Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you've never started over in a whole different way. If that's the case, and you feel the spirit blowing and rustling in you, I'd love to talk to you after the service about how to begin again. For others of us who have been born again, um, what is God saying to you about the next step? And how is he working and talking to you right now?